Thank you, Dennis, and thank you for your service this morning and all those who are serving. I just want to start with gratitude for the opportunity to share experience, strength, and hope. Uh, my name is Bart. I'm a great recovering alcoholic in New York. I've been in recovery for just over a year, and today is actually nine months of sobriety in this fellowship. So I'm really grateful for that and for every 24 hours that passes, because for me, it's one day at a time. Um, so my disposition is to lie, manipulate, and control the world to get the feelings and results that I want, regardless of consequences, and, uh, and that is essentially my story. And there's one particular line I relate to from the reading as I was reflecting this morning, and that is we took from others to fill up what was lacking in ourselves, conning ourselves time and time again, the next one would save us. We were really losing our lives. Um, and for me, that's that's definitely a big part of my story. So when I was eight years old, I was molested by another kid, and um, I grew up in a household where there was basically one rule, and that was to conceal and not feel, and certainly not talk about anything. So I quickly learned that disconnection was the language of my household, and um, definitely not, you know, didn't didn't talk about really any of the feelings that went along with particular events. So this young guy taught me how to be with a woman, and uh, that's when I was eight. And then from there, I took from others to fill up what was lacking in myself. And that started at nine years old. Same guy taught me how to masturbate when I was nine. And it was all these feelings that I was having, grief, fear, sadness, anger. And my little boy didn't know how to handle those and definitely didn't know how to talk about them uh, in a vulnerable and, and kind of transparent way. So I there's a lot of shame around that, and I just started using masturbation as a way to conceal those feelings. And I would um, masturbate at night to fall asleep. I started to I'd listen to baseball games when I was little on the radio. It's back in the radio days. And uh, and I would listen to a baseball game, and then after the game, I found a radio program late at night that would talk about sex and masturbation and pornography and all these things that were just so attractive to me. They had such like a shiny allure. You know, I was I was chasing this thing constantly. And um, and what I didn't realize it is, is that it wasn't really filling anything in myself. But I would masturbate once a day at least, usually twice a day, once in the morning uh, and once at night to either fall asleep or just escape whatever feelings I, w- I was having. And I was a lonely kid. I spent a lot of time on my own. Um, what's true is my parents were there physically, and they did the best they could with the tools they had, but they didn't have great tools. And emotionally, um, I both so my father was very disconnected from me, um, and then my mother, sort of a classic enabler, my dad is an alcoholic and had some anger problems. My mom sort of enabled all of that. And we lived in constant fear of uh, upsetting my father. And so for me, you know, I put relationships on a pedestal because I had started watching pornography and started crafting a vision of what it would look like for me. And then I had this fear that I wouldn't live up to that relationship. And then when I did get intimacy, I had a fear that I would lose it. So I started to... Um, you know, try harder and, and harder to, to satisfy. And so, you know, 11, 12, 13, you know, watching pornography every day, it became very kind of colloquial among the guys that I hung out with. Everybody, everybody watched porn. It just seemed like a normal thing to do. And everyone talked about it as if it was just a, 
the next thing that guys did. And so it became very normal for me, and it became a part of my life to the point where I didn't even really think about that. And um, a, per, a certain social media platform launched when I was a junior in high school, which just exploded the availability of everything. So then I was, it was at my fingertips all the time, and I can remember plenty of nights just like sneaking into my dad's study and figuring out a way to, you know, get pornography and watch pornography and, and masturbate. And it was this drug. It was mine. Like I, I had possession of it and it was something that I, I didn't have to talk about. It was very secretive and that in and of itself started to give me this rush of adrenaline. And I became an addict to the adrenaline rush that I got from kind of the intrigue and the, the forbidden. And that started to project into my relationships. So on, on the one hand, you know, I was a smart kid. I got straight A's. I performed. I was a good athlete. I did everything my parents said I should do. And I didn't talk about anything, uh, you know, 14, 15, 16, all the way up to high school. And so on the one hand, I was developing this split personality, right, of being sort of the, the perfect kid on the outside. I was a leader. I was a firm for a lot of things. And then on the inside, it didn't match what I saw on the outside of others. And I, it really confused me, but I was still using pornography and um, masturbation to, to get away from those feelings. And then this fantasy life just absolutely took off. And I remember I used to, in middle school, I used to choose a letter of the alphabet and um, find somebody whose name started with that, just in my head, with that letter. And I'd fantasize about that person. And, and that would be, you know, the subject of my masturbation that particular day or, or night. And... I just didn't realize how powerless and unmanageable my life was at that point. I was totally powerless to to just keep going back to this source that was hurting me on the inside. It was it was killing me on the inside, and um, but I just kept going back to it. And then I fell in love with the first woman that I met in college, and you know it was the first time I was kind of well, not the first time, but it was early on in my acting out with real people, and I, I projected what I had found in videos and in sort of the unreal into my relationships. And um, it was it was just, I had no tools to be have a trustworthy relationship. And I've never really had one where I didn't cheat on that person and I didn't act out outside of the construct of that relationship. And so uh, we dated for four and a half years. And during that time, I was watching more and more violent pornography. So the the type of pornography I watched, the, the variety of pornography I watched, um, it just got sort of deeper and deeper. And that was the progression of my disease. And as, as my disease was progressing and getting deeper, you know, I, I was sort of progressing on what seemed like a positive path from the outside, but on the inside, it's, it's just not, it didn't match up. Um, and it was really one-sided. You know, what entered my brain was the output on the other side of my brain. But I didn't realize it was all about me all about me all the time and I thought I was being selfless and I thought I was being of service in relationships where in reality I had a lot of the traits and still a lot of the traits that my father had um, in the way that he treated my mother and at the same time this belief from my mother that I had to live in fear and kind of skirt around the edges instead of having uh, real conversations and um, kind of being able to, to speak for myself so those aspects of my life were I was powerless over as well. And what I do know is that I don't lack knowledge, but I do lack power. And it's only in recovery that I've, that I've found the power. Um, I graduated from college. I was living in a huge city. I broke up with my girlfriend. I started to have lots of one night stands, lots of unsafe sex. And that's when the cost really started to add up. So 
so you know I contracted a sexual disease um, I just had a lot of things that I look back on and I just pray for those people now I pray for them constantly but um, people that I had you know one night stands with people that I hurt a lot you know I cost other people a lot of things and I cost myself a lot too um, lots of friendships lots of relationships lots of time that could have been spent doing other things um, a fair amount of money I did go to a few strip clubs I've, I mean I've gone to strip clubs to sort of get the hits as well and what also really developed in this, this hole in my heart was a huge longing and a belief that the, a woman could save me, that the next person could save me, and that would fill that hole. And it's, um, it's really become an addiction for me that I, I think that a relationship can save me. And what happened was as soon as I would get really close to someone and intimately close to someone, that is the person I would want to push away the most. And I would figure out every way to get it back to the chaos that I had in my, my household when I was growing up and I would just push that person away. And that's been, that's been my story. So I've had uh, a string of codependent relationships that, that ended usually with trust issues, um, cheated on every girlfriend that I've had. And it's just, it's completely powerless uh, for me. And, um, and so that's kind of my story of <clears throat> what led me into the rooms. And um, my qualifier about a year ago just suggested that I had some of the tendencies of a sex addict or a sexaholic and showed me the questions. And I'm incredibly grateful. And that's why I, I don't like to say the word struggle anymore. I like to say that word work on. Because in my belief, it's my higher power working on my heart. And that was one of those examples where my higher power was working the entire time. And I'm um, so grateful to her that she showed me the truth and um, put people in my path and put people around me that could help me recover and that my higher power could help restore me to sanity. Um, and it was about two years ago that I, I came to faith in higher power, and it's only because of that that I have, you know, some of the recovery, the recovery that I have today. So, so what is true for me is that I was terrified of making the real connection. And when I got it, I started losing it. Um, I was using porn to substitute uh, personal interaction with human beings. And I just have I'm an intimacy. Um, you know, I'm challenged in terms of intimacy with real human beings. So that's my story. That's how I've come into the rooms. And I really want to talk today more about you know, my strength and hope, a little bit more about my recovery. So recovery started for me about a year ago. And, um, you know, healing has to come about in all three areas of, of my life. And for me, that's absolutely happened. I mean, I first came into the rooms and I was totally, I was like, man, these people are weird. Uh, you know, they're not like me. I have a high bottom. So I haven't done a lot of the things that a lot of these people have done. And, um, you know, this isn't me. And then I realized I was addicted to the adrenaline and allergic to the peace that came along with sobriety. And, Pretty early on, I was able to admit that I am a, a sexaholic. Um, it is a part of me. And what is also true is my identity is in my higher power. So it's the plurality of the truth that has been really powerful for me to be able to be in the fellowship and consistently go to meetings. And so um, I've been working the steps. So I got up to step four, and then I switched sponsors, and now I'm working step one again. And that's where I'll start, is just with powerlessness. And that's something that I do every day, is I say the third-step prayer and um, offer my life and my will over to God. 
as I understand God, and I, I just offer up, um, you know, my my whole day and my journey, this 24 hours, I thank God for keeping me safe the day before, and I, I ask him to keep me safe that day. Um, and then I pray for at least three people that are not me, and that's part of my journey from, from sex and self to God and others, is just being able to ask my higher power to help those who are in need um, and help those who, you know, don't have the things that, um, or the things that I desire in my life. And I just pray for those for other people, especially my ex-girlfriend. I pray for her probably, I don't know, 40 or 50 times a day. Every time her thought comes up, I just pray for her now. Um, and it's something I can do. It's something I have control over because if I plug into the source, which is my higher power, that current gives me power and it gives me the power to act in positive ways as opposed to negative. Um, another gift of recovery for me has been doing new things. So I took up bow hunting, which is a totally new thing for me, um, archery and stuff like that. There's things that I never thought I would be involved in, and it's only because of the fellowship. Um, it's only because of men in the fellowship who have come around me and supported me and given me the, the strength and the ability just to have conversations, have intimate friendships, be able to say I love you to my fellows, um, be able to remember and really care for people that I'm, that I'm walking with and that I'm um, <clears throat> walking alongside, um, being counseled by. And the truth for me is that the fellowship itself has become like a, like a parent that I never had. It's become like a family that I never had. And um, if you had asked me a year and a half ago or two years ago to say, yeah, like, do you look forward to going to a Sexaholics Anonymous meeting on Monday nights? I would, first of all, say you were crazy. And second of all, just have pity for the people that were in those rooms. And now I could not be more grateful to step foot in those rooms um, for me at my home meeting here in New York and wherever I travel to. You know, I go to the fellowships wherever I travel to. And it's just been another incredible gift of recovery is just people to connect with and um, the opportunity to find the real connection and make the real connection as opposed to <clears throat> what was the unreal, which is um, which only really exists in my head. And then another thing that I, I just want to talk about that's worked for me is um, when fantasy comes up, you know, that's the thing I struggle with the most still. I've been um, free of pornography and masturbation for the last year. I still struggle certainly with, with fantasy. And um, when it comes up, I have the choice now to make a positive choice. I don't need to fantasize about something. I can go to, for me, it's um, in my faith tradition, it's scripture. I can go to the materials, and I can just have things in my head and in my brain to start to actually rewire the, the neural pathways that have been programmed for so long to think about really positive things. I can pray for people. Um, I can think about positive things. I can read the literature, and I can speak my identity out loud, and I don't no longer have to live in that fear and fill those things, fill those areas of my heart that are just still lacking um, with things that are that are negative for my life, and so that's another thing that I that I do every day. Um, and then the last thing I do in recovery that's it's been such a gift is one I do one five ten. So I call my sponsor once a day and just check in um, to make sure that you know we're still on the same track and um, still kind of in constant contact. I call at least five fellows every day to check in, see how people are doing, um, to either do a daily sobriety recovery call or uh, just, you know, see how the, guys are, how the guys are doing. And I do 10 minutes of step work. 
or journaling, one of the two. So I try to write and reflect, either write gratitudes or right now I'm working on step two, working through some step two and how it works. And um, I'm just really grateful today. So I want to just express gratitude for the 12 steps of the fellowship, um, just express gratitude for the changes that it's had in my life, which are just incredible. And, um, you know, I, I made the decision in recovery, which I never would have been able to make, to leave a job that promised me, you know, probably twice the salary if I moved down to a different area of the country. And I said no, because my recovery is much more important to me and to my life than it is to have any kind of professional job, because I know that no job can save me, no next thing can save me, no next woman can save me. But in the, in the rooms and in the 12 steps, I found a place that is comfortable. It's home. Uh, it's a place that I can laugh and cry and swear, that I can really be myself and be loved for being that, that true version of myself. Um, even though I haven't fully re- reunited with my inner child, I'm getting there. And I'm not afraid to feel the feelings that come up anymore, if it's sadness, anger, grief, or fear. I can choose joy. I can choose to express joy and find joy, even in the difficult times, and talk to fellows about it and process it with with people that I consider safe. And I can, today, I I can say, honestly, um, that I'm finding a real connection and I'm finding a home and um, my spirit is starting to actually really change. And so I'm really grateful today for for the 12 steps. I'm grateful for the literature. I'm grateful for the connections that I've made um, in the fellowship. And I'm grateful that it's strengthened my relationship with my higher power. I mean, it's been a revelatory thing to know that I can actually just surrender. I can actually just let go of things in my life that I don't need to be a part of. Um, for example, I was, you know, I was on the board of a charity, and I, and I knew that it, there was a reason that I joined it, and it was so that people would look at me. And I stepped back from that and said that I wouldn't, you know, be able to serve on the board anymore because I just knew my heart had been oriented at the time to have it be about me and not about the actual kids. And, uh, and it's just things like that that I can do today that are healthy, that I wouldn't have been able to make those choices for myself before with the counsel of the fellowship, with the counsel of my sponsor, and with people around me that I trust and love and know and who know me. So um, it's been an incredible change to my life. And I'm, today I'm really grateful for that. My relationship with my parents is improving. Um, I go to, I now chair a couple of meetings in, in New York. And uh, I just find opportunities to be of service to people without having to complain about it. I'm constantly praying, God, show me the truth. God, put people on my path that I can help. And he does. Unfailingly, he shows me the truth about what I'm going through. If it's a character defect that I'm in, a pride, a resentment, or a judgment, judgmental spirit. And he also will put people in my path that I can help. Whether it's you know helping someone with a suitcase or holding a door, giving up a seat, um, you know whatever it is, doing dishes for my roommates. I mean, it's all these little things that I would have complained about, at least to myself. And now I have the power and I have the opportunity to just help other people and, uh, and be all connected kind of in fellowship in the fourth spiritual dimension. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity to share. Um, and I look forward to hearing from, from everybody. And with that, I will, I will close. And, um, yeah, I'm Bart. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic and thank you for listening.